This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. And then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the dream. And Daniel spoke and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, different or diverse from one another. The first was like a lion, another beast like a bear, another like a leopard. And then I saw in the night vision, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful, and terrible and strong, deceiving exceedingly, and it had great teeth, iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. It was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Then I saw in the rest of the vision one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, And they brought him near, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Welcome to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. The Bible says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit, in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. They might have troubled you, too, if you had had this vision. But today on Viewpoint, we're going to try to at least help remove some of the trouble and identify a bit more of the vision that Daniel had. The vision concerning this final great beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, that had great iron teeth and devoured and broken pieces and stamped the residue with its feet, diverse distinct, different from all the beasts that were before it, and had ten horns. Viewpoint does determine destiny, and our viewpoint concerning what the Bible has said, what the prophet Daniel has said, in a sense determines destiny, because if we don't receive it, if we don't comprehend it, at least in its broader sense, we don't understand what's going on in our world. And we won't understand. So today on Viewpoint... We're going to deal with Daniel's unveiling drama. It is indeed a drama. Because Daniel said at the end of his message in chapter 12 of the book of Daniel, at that time there should be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? That's what the kids ask, don't they? When you're going on a trip, you've been gone 10 minutes and they ask, are we there yet? yet you were supposed to be traveling for hours. Are we there yet? Well, we're all like a bunch of kids, aren't we? Maybe that's why God called the children of Israel the children of Israel, and we're all part of his kids, those that are called according to his name. He says he surnamed us, he's given us our names, and he surnamed us, given us his last name. Well, no description of the imposter Messiah is more detailed, no more dramatic, 
than that that is revealed to us through the prophet Daniel in his disturbing visions of our future. But why Daniel? What is it about this fellow Daniel? Did he have some kind of special favor with God, such that the God of the universe could entrust him with the most profound revelation of the son of perdition, that is, the Antichrist, who through a majestic beast empire would rule the world as a counterfeit Messiah? Well, yes, I do believe that Daniel did have unique favor. He really did. The Bible says that he did. So we want to find out a little bit why Daniel had this kind of favor, because if he didn't have this kind of favor, and we don't understand why he had this kind of favor, then perhaps we wouldn't take what he says so seriously. But he did have this kind of favor. In fact, while God is no respecter of persons in a broad sense, and we all have access to the Father by his Spirit through forgiveness of sins and walking in righteousness, but there are those whom God has identified throughout history who seem to enjoy unusual favor, maybe probably due to their greater sacrificial devotion to his kingdom and to their greater willingness to surrender to the word and the will of the Father, to hear his voice and to obey no matter what the cost. So we find then this fellow Daniel, a Hebrew young man, having been taken captive to a pagan country called Babylon, part of God's judgment, temporary judgment for 70 years on all of Israel because of their disobedience to him. And it was a godless and a a sinful culture. But even though it was, Daniel, who was deeply rooted in his convictions, revealed an unusual means of applied faith, which, by the way, we're all called to, as you know. But most fall short. While deeply religious in his own ways, he purported to identify himself with the devastating sin of his own nation, Judah, that was bringing the Father's judgment upon the whole country. And so he he prayed. Maybe the greatest identificational prayer found in the Bible. It's in chapter 9 of the book of Daniel. So he says this, We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from your precepts and from your judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto your servants the prophets. O Lord, to us belongs confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. Notice he keeps saying, we, 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 we. It wasn't him. It was his country. Daniel was a a young man walking in righteousness, so much so that God identified him, saying through the prophet uh, Ezekiel, Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in the country, says the Lord, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall deliver their own souls by their righteousness. Notice the three men that God laid out as 
three of the most righteous men in the Old Testament, Noah, Daniel, and Job. Now, this is astounding. How would you like to be named among the three most righteous people in America or in the country where you're listening today? What an honor from God's viewpoint. What an honor from God's viewpoint. But what is his viewpoint? Do we look an awful lot like the nation of Israel that Daniel was praying about? Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws. Yes, all Israel, all America has transgressed your law by departing. Mm. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. I'm so glad that you've joined us here on Viewpoint today to talk about things that matter most. We're probing the deepest issues of America's heart and home, just like God, through the prophet Daniel, was uh, probing the deepest issues of Israel's heart and home. And the book of Daniel reveals that. Daniel, standing in the midst of a nation that was already departed to Babylon, for judgment because the country had not obeyed God, had refused, even though they claimed to be the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, heirs according to the promise, were in the promised land, yet God said, away with you, you're not following my ways, you're going to go for 70 years in a pagan country called Babylon. So, The prophet Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were taken off, off to pagan Babylon. And it's in the midst of pagan Babylon that Daniel prays this tremendous prayer in chapter 9 of his uh, book. And this prayer, he identifies with Israel, with Judah, And he says, all Israel have transgressed your law, even by departing, that they may not obey your voice. Therefore, the curse is poured out upon us. As it is written, all this evil is come upon us. Now, the question that I have, if Daniel was praying an identificational prayer, him with his people in that day, what would we do today? What would we do today in America? Do you think that we're any better than Israel was in Daniel's day? I don't think so. Maybe worse. Maybe much worse. And so we need to walk in the ways of Daniel, in righteousness in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation and nation in which is 
increasingly little or no true, genuine faith. But Daniel received a message. Even in the midst of such difficult times, Daniel received a profound message. In fact, let me ask you a question. Imagine for a moment, having been given by God a detailed glimpse into the world's future up to the very time of history's final hour, yet being frustrated by the failure to have the exact timing and and the full implications of it. How would you think? How would you feel? Talk about getting hit with a heavy burden. Well, that's exactly how Daniel felt. It was shocking to him, the visions that were committed and trust to him by the Lord. In fact, here's what Daniel said. And I heard but understood not. And then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall the end of these things be? And God responded, not by giving him more revelation, but by declaring that there wasn't going to be any further disclosure. Daniel was going to have to hold those words, transmit them without fully understanding their significance. And here's what God said. Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. But go your way till the end be, for you shall rest and stand in your lot at the end of the days. Wow. Now, were these words from Daniel intended to be completely closed up forever? No. They were only intended to be closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Question, are we there yet? Are we there yet? I think we are. I think we're at that time. Exactly where in that uh, period of time, we cannot say for sure. And we dare not try to say with such specificity that we think we know the day or the hour of the Lord's return. No. But we can know the season, and we must know the season. And if we don't know the season, if we can't identify the season, that means that you and I have been caught up so desperately in the spirit of Babylon that we can't see anything about God, his purposes, his plans, and we have become completely enmeshed in the worldly system. It wasn't that way with Daniel. So we're going to take a look here in the balance of the program today about this drama, Daniel's drama, and it demands our decision. It really does. His drama demands our decision right now, today, in this hour, perhaps this minute. So we're going to, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to explore the decisive themes that arise from Daniel's various visions and the prophetic implications for each of us, for you and for me, and a collective people who call themselves by the name of the Lord. So, first of all, we need to understand that dominion will be dominant. Dominion 
will be dominant. Satan's goal is to take dominion over the entire earth, beginning with you. Now, we talked a lot here about globalism, and we've talked, in fact, uh, uh, since yesterday, there has been more, much more come across my desk concerning globalism, concerning the war between the nations, the groups of nations that are form, forming in the great final globalistic battle for dominion in our world. Even as we speak, the head of the Russian Orthodox Church has gone on record saying that the United States has become the most debaucherous influence in the world and seeking to take the world to hell. So he's telling the Russian people, hang in there, folk. God has called us in Russia for a very special purpose, an end-time purpose to save the world. Well, that's their viewpoint. Whether you agree with it or not, whether I agree with it or not, in whole or in part, that's their viewpoint. So what is God's viewpoint? That's really the issue. What is God's viewpoint, for instance, concerning our country or concerning the world? Does he really see us as a wicked, globalistic uh, empire that is intending to rule the world through a one-world government described in large measure by the book of Daniel? Or is that some other nation or some other group? We should ask ourselves those questions because Israel thought that they were the greatest thing on the face of the earth too. But God sent them away to Babylon for 70 years. And it was only through the voice of one Daniel that God saw as righteous in his generation that the message could get out to the people claiming to be the people of God who are now in the wicked arms of Babylon. So, the first thing that we need to understand about uh, Daniel's drama is that dominion will be dominant. That's Satan's entire declared intention from the time of his rebellion in the heavenlies and is going to be his final move to become king of the mountain of God. That's why I wrote the book, King of the Mountain. If you don't have it, you need to get it on our website, saveus.org. The mountain, the temple mount. Satan wants to be ruler of the temple mount and thereby rule the world and declare himself equal with God. But at the same time, he wants to rule the mount of your heart, your being, which the scripture calls the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's his ultimate goal, is to rule and reign on the temple mount of your heart. Is he? Does he have dominion there? We need to ask ourselves some very powerful rhetorical and piercing questions in this moment. 
That's what the Bible is supposed to do, to inquire, force us to ask rhetorical questions to assess our status with the Lord, the God of history, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is coming again to judge the world in righteousness. So this this prophesied dominion is part of the divine drama, the dominion drama that began in the Garden of Eden with Adam forfeiting his earth dominion to the deceiver, Satan himself, by equivocating through human reason with God's simple command by means of Satan's fleshly seduction. So, the deceiver's desperate attempt is to seize the final world power as a, shall we call it, a a pseudo-religious authority that will arise with a kind of false enlightenment of the imposter, the Antichrist, who will ultimately claim the throne of Messiah in the temple of God. That's the picture. Then, those who embrace in Messiah, Messiah's dominion will be only those who have not submitted to the imposter's deceptive dominion. So those who wickedly forsake the Holy Covenant shall accept the counterfeit Christ and his corruption by flatteries. But, here's the encouraging word, the people who do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. I love that passage. The people who do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. So the first theme of the book of Daniel is dominion will be dominant. That's the goal. Satan's goal is to dominate the world. But God has already decreed that his son, Jesus, Yeshua, the Savior of the world, will be the one who will sit on his throne, the Temple Mount. Psalm 2 tells us exactly that. So this is the great conflict of the ages, and it is coming to the consummation right here in front of our eyes. It's amazing. In my office, my broadcast studio, I maintain a rather significant filing system and have for years. I probably have at least 200, maybe close to 300 files. And each one has a specific label on it, and they're rather defined labels. I have been filling those files for years and then having to go in and call out uh, articles and papers from time to time because the files have become so significant, so vast, that they don't even fit in my file drawers anymore. So my wife came into the office today, and I've been going through a vast array of articles and, and so on that I've been collecting now over just the past two months. She says, Chuck, what are you going to do with these? I said, well, we bought this rack so that I can organize these at least six 
separate titles, organization of themes. But I had many others. She said, what are you going to do with those? I said, well, I'm going to try to put some of them in the file. She said, you're kidding. How are you going to get them in there? Here's the point. The point is that things are happening so rapidly, friends, that a filing system anymore hardly even merits much attention. Because it's happening so rapidly right in front of our eyes. Are you getting the sense? That spirit of dominion that Daniel talked about that is going to cover the earth is so deeply in front of us, we just can't escape it. So we're going to take a look at some of the other themes for the book of Daniel in just a moment. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Diversity can be dreadful, my friends. Diversity can be absolutely dreadful. That's the next ruling theme in the book of Daniel, particularly as we move into his discussion, the high drama of the fourth great beast that will rule the earth just before the second coming of Christ. Now, before we go further, I want to make available to you not only my book, King of the Mountain, but my most recent book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. You see, people don't quite realize that this whole idea of Messiah is veiled in a terrific mystery. You say, well, I know who the Messiah is. Okay. Uh, I don't doubt that. You know that the Messiah is Jesus. You know that the Messiah is uh, uh, Yeshua, born of a virgin, and uh, he taught, he performed miracles, he was crucified, he rose again, ascended back to the Father, and gave us a, a gospel full of grace and truth. Yes, you know that. But it's the people who claim to know that that the warnings of the Bible are to. The Bible's warnings are not to the pagans primarily. They're already pagan and they're condemned already, Jesus said in John chapter 3. The warnings of the Bible are to those who profess to be his followers his warmest audience. Those are the ones 
Those are the ones, my friends, to whom the message is given. Not to the pagans. God is concerned that you and I, as his professing followers, claiming to belong to the Messiah, do not fall away. And when we look at the theme, this amazing theme, that diversity can be dreadful, that dominion is going to be dominant. The big issue is who ultimately, what ultimately is going to dominate your life. And if you think that you could be part of the diversity culture in its many, many manifestations, you're going to, you're on dangerous ground, very dangerous ground spiritually. Robert Winthrop, back in the early 1800s, was not far off the course when he said, we will either be governed by a power within or by a power without, either by the Bible or by the bayonet. So, let's talk about this word diversity. And before we do... I'm going to make available the book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. It's a $22 book, yours for $20, on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org, you can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Write a check at $5 for postage and handling. Messiah. Unveiling the Mystery of the Age. You see, there are many, many competitors, and you would not, most people would not even recognize them as competitors. Oh, but they are. They're competitors in a world that has embraced diversity as an article of faith. All kinds of diversity. In other words, that the world is just a divine buffet table, and we can walk up to, at the buffet table and pick and choose whatever we want that seems to satisfy us or satisfy our eyes or our desires at the moment, and that will be sufficient for us. God says no. He said, I'm serving up the meal that I want you to have. It's the enemy of your soul that's serving up the buffet table. This fourth beast in Daniel's drama was said to be terrible and strong exceedingly. It has great iron teeth, devouring and breaking in pieces, and again, diverse, diverse, diverse from all the beasts that were before it. So it's characterized by unprecedented diversity. That the little horn or counterfeit Messiah begins to come forth to rule as Satan's ultimate emissary over our planet. Now, it's no mystery. The word diverse means showing a great deal of of variety or difference. But think about it this way. Never in history has the word diverse 
or diversity had greater prominence or popularity. You know that's true. In truth, the word diversity has become the central pillar of Western thinking, of American thinking, of political correctness, of multiculturalism, religious pluralism, and all the other aspects of our culture. It's the new cultural moniker purporting to describe the ideal and ultimate social and cultural standard for global unity and peace. It's perceived to be, shall we say, the the roadmap for a utopian government that will disregard biblically described sinful human nature and differences of view, diversity, will be what unites us. Now, how could that be possible? It can only be possible if we agree that every person is fundamentally God in the flesh. And therefore, the choices of every person are godlike, and we dare not quibble with them. Did you know that that is the belief of the New Agers? That's their goal, is to bring every single one to the place of thinking that they are God. That is the gospel of Oprah Winfrey, friends. She went on a five-year plan of discipleship to disciple those in her sphere of influence to that very false gospel. Pretty amazing. Diversity. Now, there is a political expression that purportedly embraces this idea. And it's the word democracy. So, the government of this final beast empire that Daniel is referring to is not a monarchy, it's not a dictatorship, it's the final expression of man's best effort to rule or govern, not by a single individual, by a king or a self-exalted revolutionary dictator, but by the people in their diversity, commonly known as democracy. Now, We may hear the word democracy promoted as a glorious, spiritual, utopian concept, but it is not. In fact, the founders of this country were terrified of the word democracy. The very nature of unfettered democracy is the profound danger that so-called diversity of people, when banded together without restraint, without godly restraint, will ultimately manifest in a horrific dictatorship, destroying all others that are not aligned with their purported majority. Friends, that's exactly what's happening right now. We call it cancel culture. Come on, can't we see what's happening In fact, so dangerous 
was the idea of pure democracy deemed to be by America's founding fathers that it was feared and warned to be potentially the most dangerous of all forms of government. So you say, well, what kind of a government do we have? Well, Benjamin Franklin was asked that question when they came out of the Constitutional Convention. A woman asked him, uh, Mr. Franklin, what, what kind of government have you given us? He said, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. A republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. The purpose of the republic is a democratic form of government, but protected, insofar as possible, by the way, from majority and godless tyranny by means of a series of checks and balances that would maximize the security of life, liberty, and happiness for all under a godly system. What happens if you kick out the godly system? What happens if you're no longer under God? What happens if you don't want to be under God and you want to be diverse? Everybody wants to be their own God. Every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. That's why John Appens, our second president, said our government was made for a moral and religious or Christian people and wholly inadequate to the government of any other. We become another kind of people, diverse from all the rest. Not a monarchy, not a dictatorship, but a pure democracy. That is what one of the major powers in our country, political powers, parties in this country, see that as the ideal. Pure democracy so that the people can rule as a dictatorship. That's what's bringing upon massive persecution, friends, in this country. Rome, interestingly, was a republic that shed its republican protections by exalting someone called an emperor to rule as Potiphex Maximus over the people, combining both civil government and religious authority in one. Ah, Rome, the fourth great empire. We'll be back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Today we're looking at Daniel's unveiling drama uh, it's being unveiled right before our eyes. We're identifying the uh, unique characteristics of his vision 
of the fourth great empire, the final great empire that would rule the world uh, just before the second coming of Christ. Interestingly, it's the same empire that ruled the world when Jesus came the first time. Rome. Now, interestingly, Rome was a republic, but it shed its republican protections in favor of a man exalted democratically by the people to the status of emperor, who then clothed himself in deity and took on public worship as the Pontifex Maximus. The complete merger of civil government and religious authority. By the way, that title and identical authority was then transferred as the Roman Empire declined to the Bishop of Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, which under the preceptor of the Vatican, the smallest, the world's smallest city-state now claims to rule over all governments as the world, in the world, as Pontifex Maximus, more commonly known as Pontiff. But it all began as a democratic republic. Are you beginning to get the picture? So it might be shocking to our sensibilities that since the early 1960s in America, Our people, we the people, have been gradually and insidiously rejecting the protections of the republic, instead progressively embracing pure democracy, casting aside all caution to the wind in pursuit of absolute unfettered power, that having rejected the God who made him preserved as a nation, we have rejected the fundamental notion of the innate sinfulness that troubles all of us and resorted to a politically correct conviction that humankind now is fundamentally good. So they therefore no longer need the checks and balances provided by a republic of God-fearing people. That's where we are. And it's all taking a course that is ending in chaos in our country. Again, remember, Daniel described that uh, fourth great beast as diverse from all the powers that were before it. And when that power is secured, then the Antichrist, the little horn, reveals his modus operandi. Daniel says he'll speak great words against the Most High, shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Oh, you mean we're not going to be out of there when the Antichrist shows up? Not according to Daniel. Persecution is going to grow rapidly. And all of that is going to be done under the progressively established authority of democratic diversity, without God, that is. That is the characteristic of the Western world. And it's a prescription for end-time destruction. And it is betraying all of us, even the church, even our pastors, 
parachurch leaders, and so on. I, uh, again, would like to urge you to get a copy of the book Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. And if you couple that with the book King of the Mountain, which is available to you for $15, you've got $20 and $15, uh, then instead of five dollars for postage and handling for both for each book, uh, it'll be five dollars for the first book and only two dollars for the second book. Uh, so you're going to save three dollars that way. You're already getting a lower price than the list price on the book. So I think you're going to find that those two books are going to reveal a whole lot, a whole lot to help us to understand the dynamics of what are taking place, because, you see, if we don't understand it to the level that we should understand it now, remember God said to Daniel, close up this vision until the time of the end. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Is this that time? And why is it that everybody and his brother seems now to be coming out with books concerning the end of the age, the end times. It's amazing. I'm receiving them from publishers once or twice a week. Just got another one yesterday. Why? Well, there's a perception, friends, that we are in those times. Some are finding it very difficult to embrace the fullness of it. And so you read their books and, uh, you know, they, they give you information, but they don't give you transformation because they write in such a way that they presume that everything's wonderful, everything's cool for you. Don't worry, we're out of here. Therefore, you don't have to be concerned. Well, then why are they writing about it? Are they just trying to tickle your ears? That's not why God presented these messages. He presented them so that we would be prepared. That's why Jesus spoke about it over and over and over again. Prepare. Prepare the way of the Lord. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. Now, the third Uh, theme that I think comes from Daniel's unveiling drama regarding this fourth uh, great power is the delegation, that delegation determines authority. So the imposter, Antichrist, will not gain dominion authority in the earth by his own power. Daniel says that. Rather, his ultimately dictatorial power will be the end result a progressive democracy that empowers 10 regional governments or powers. And from those, they will, with a desperate expectation, deliver or delegate their ultimate authority to this seemingly charismatic counterfeit Messiah who will promise to bring peace on earth. But in reality, it's Satan who facilitates that delegation, which would determine the destiny of our planet. All right. The next theme that we see in 
Daniel's divine drama is that the delegation of power is demonic. It seems to be genuine political transfer of power. The progressive delegation of world power, first to the ten horns, by demonically informed democracy, will then culminate by demonically inspired delegation to Satan's personal representative who will rule the planet and the people dictatorially for a time and times and the dividing time. Now, professing believers will be here during that time. If they were not, then all of these warnings are irrelevant, meaningless. They will be here. What they will not be here for is the outpouring of God's wrath in judgment upon that beast empire and the counterfeit Christ, the Antichrist. That will happen after the Antichrist is revealed. The Apostle Paul made it very clear. He said that before the uh, son of perdition is revealed, there will be a great falling away or apostasy of professing Christians. The Apostle Paul said that. The book of Thessalonians. Also, Daniel convinces us that devious actions and deceitful attitudes will govern, hover over all that happens in these final days. Actions proceed from attitudes and beliefs. And Daniel says that the coming imposter will work deceitfully. He's going to gain his power and dominion through pretense and false promises as claiming to be the great prince of peace. And he's going to enter into the world's most infamous league or covenant or treaty only with the intent to ultimately break it as soon as his intended purpose is achieved. God calls it a covenant with death that Israel will enter into. Hmm. Now, the next theme is that delusion yields damnation. Now, this is a wholly attractive and compelling incarnation of Satan's rebellious heart that seduces the planet and its peoples and its governments and religious authorities. The Apostle Paul says, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, because they received not the love of the truth. So God is going to send them strong delusion, a reprobate mind, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Delusion yields damnation. The next theme is departing and destruction. People are going to depart from the faith. Both Jew and Gentile, professing believers, are going to depart. A great departing 
You can't depart from a place that you have never been, my friend. You can't apostatize from a faith that you have never embraced. And the imposter himself will depart from the God of his fathers, Daniel says. So who is the God of his fathers? That would mean that he is either a Jew, that is, the Antichrist is either a Jew, or he's a Gentile believer. And then, he's going to devour with determination. He's a a vile person, Daniel says. Vile is a horrific characterization, I think implying moral debasement, pure wickedness, unadulterated despicableness. Only such a person, the veritable incarnation of Satan himself, could wreak such destruction and havoc in the earth as will soon become manifest. He's going to work deceitfully and stir up his power and courage against all resisting powers. And then finally, our desolations and deliverance. Daniel breaks the prophetic drama concerning this fourth great beast to lament the spiritual condition of God's own people. One of the greatest prayers to be found in all of Scripture, Daniel chapter 9. One of the things that's so wonderful coming from the book of Daniel, however, is these words. But the people that do know their God, as did Daniel, shall be strong and do exploits. In other words, they will stand, and having done all to stand, to stand. Even against persecution. Thanks for joining us. I hope this has been helpful, revealing, also perhaps encouraging and challenging. The book, Messiah, $20 on our website, saveus.org. Become a partner, friends. Truly, it's becoming more and more difficult to bring the message because people are gradually falling away. Thanks for joining us. God bless. Be a blessing. You might want to read the book of Daniel and the book You've been of listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.